We are continuing in 1 John chapter 2, so I would invite you to turn in your copies of the Scripture, whether it's on your phone or iPad or um, traditional paperback Bible. 1 John chapter 2. And uh, it's uh, hard to believe that today is uh, my last day preaching here as pastor of Penn Valley Church. So uh, it's a privilege, and I'm thankful to be in the Word of God and uh, share that with you this, this morning. So living in the light, we've learned about chapter 1, chapter 2, beginning of chapter 2 in 1 John here, that living in the light means obeying God and having fellowship with Him. Living in the light means obeying God. John talks about that. He, he gives us a moral test in the beginning. He says, if you love God, then you must obey His commands. So he puts it out there, he gives you a moral test that if you claim to know God, if you claim to love God, then you must obey his commands and admit that you're a sinner. If you don't admit that you are a sinner, you're making God out to be a liar because he is holy and we are not. And so he gives a moral test. We looked at that last week. And um, in chapter 2, we begin to move into um, another test. Another question, another test that John gives his readers. This, t- this test that he gives is even a more personal one. It's a relational test. So we had a moral test last week. If you love God, obey his commands. This week, he gets a little bit more personal, and he asks about your personal relationships. He equates that obeying God equals loving your brother. So, How many of you love God? Raise your hand if you say you would love God. Yes. And John says that if we love God, we must obey his what? Commands, right? Now this week, we're going to get a little bit even closer to home. And what are those commands that we have to obey? John is pointing out that we must love our brothers and sisters. You see, living in the light requires a radical love for others. And John is bringing that to light here in chapter 2. He often talks about life, light, and love in his epistle here in John. Light, life, and love. God is light, God is love, God is life. And he calls us to walk in this light, calls us to live in this love, and he calls us to live in this life that he has given to us in his son Jesus. We'll see here quickly that John is a very black and white person. It's one way or the other. And he says, you cannot live in the light and hate your brother. It's impossible to say you love God and yet hate your brother at the same time. That is not the living in the light. So John's question for us today is, if you say you love God, the question for us all to ponder is, how are your relationships? I want you to think about that and ask the Holy Spirit as you listen and read the Word of God this morning. How are your relationships with your brothers and sisters? You see, Jesus calls us to a high standard as we see here. And I often struggle to love my brothers and sisters unconditionally because that's the standard, that agape love that Jesus calls us to is this unconditional love. And let's face it, it is hard, if not impossible, to love unconditionally, especially when it comes to our enemies. 
And I know you probably can relate with me that this is a difficult task to love difficult people in our lives. So what do we do? How do we love the difficult people in our lives? Well, let's look to the scriptures this morning. 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 14 is where we are camping out. We're going to read the first two here of 7 and 8. 1 John 2, 7 and 8. Dear friends, or dear beloved, John loves the people of the church that he's writing to. He writes in a tone of love towards them. He says, I love you. You are my beloved. And as I share these hard things with you, let, don't forget that you are my beloved. He says, I'm, writing, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So John is saying, I'm writing you a new command, but yet it's an old command. It's an old command, but yet it's a new command. And he's talking about love. Love is not a new command for the recipients of this letter. It's not a new command for you and I. It's a, it's a command that God gave back to the Jewish people back as they were in exile. And he said, love your neighbor as yourself. We see that even back in Leviticus 19.18. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what the Jewish people grew up with. They knew that they were called to love their neighbors as themselves. And yet Jesus, when he comes onto the scene, he gives a new command. He takes this command to love your neighbors to, as yourself to a higher level. To a higher level. And he gives that command to us in John chapter 13, a passage we all should know well as we look at very often as a church as we celebrate threefold communion. As we celebrate the Last Supper, it was at the Last Supper that Jesus gave this new command. Do you remember the Last Supper? It was up in the upper room, and it was the night that he was to be betrayed by one of his own. He was going to be betrayed by Judas. And in that upper room, where he shared this new command, he also did a significant act, something that we as a church makes us very unique in that he washed his disciples' feet. We as a church wash one another's feet as a symbol of our need for daily cleansing of our sins as well as an act of humility. So Jesus in this upper room gives this command, remember that it was the night he was to be betrayed by one of his own disciples. And in that room, he also took the role of a servant among his disciples to the point where his disciples got upset at him and said, no, Jesus, you will not wash my feet. I can't, ha I can't have you touch my feet, Jesus. Jesus humbled himself, knowing who and where he had come from, got down on his knees and began to wash his dirty disciples' feet. And after he had washed their feet, and modeled to them what it is to be a true leader, a leader of sacrifice. He gave them this command. He says, a new command I give you, John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, 
It is this, love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus gives this new command. He takes it to another level of not just love your neighbor as yourself, but love them as I have loved you. Loved you as, a, as to the point of self-sacrificing, getting down to wash your dirty feet, and to later that night being betrayed, whipped, beaten, arrested unjustly, and later, by the end of the week, going to the cross and dying a death, a gruesome death, all alone, abandoned by his disciples, and going to the grave. This kind of love, Jesus was giving a new command of. A love that's not just about ourself, but the self-sacrificing love, even unto death. Going back to 1 John here, we see even verse 6, last week Pastor Dave talked about, John told them that you need to walk as Jesus did. If you say you love God, if you obey His commands, then you will walk as Jesus did, and that walk we are going to see is a walk of love. You see, love is very practical. It's practical. It's more than just words. It is actions. Love is giving. It is not getting. This biblical agape love that's mentioned here is an unconditional in its nature. It's this in spite of love. Whatever you do, I'm still going to love you. Christ fulfilled these qualities of agape love. This brand of love characterizes his disciples, he says. He says, they will know you are my disciples when you live this love out for one another. We must walk in light and love as Jesus loved and walked. This is a radical love. Jesus taught this greater expanse of this love when he taught about the Good Samaritan's love. He tried to show and illustrate that this love that the Good Samaritan had for his enemy was a love that needs our compassion. This love needs us to be compassionate and, and to help others, irrespective of their race, irrespective of their rank in society or the church. And this love also includes our enemies. Jesus taught about what it means to love your neighbor and your enemies in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard it said to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy. Everyone knows that. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. See, those who are sons and daughters of the Father in heaven, they love their enemies and they pray for those who persecute them. Jesus goes on to teach, He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? 
Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, Jesus says. Jesus sets the standard so high in this radical love, this new command that he gives to us. You see, it's impossible to think about the spiritual life and God apart from loving our neighbors and our enemies. It's impossible to talk about loving God and the spiritual life and following after God and not talk about loving our neighbors and loving our enemies at the same time. He goes so far to say that the degree to which we love our enemies, those people who hurt us, those people who irritate us, those people that drive us crazy, is the true indicator of our spiritual maturity. Jesus is saying that if we are spiritually mature, our love will show on how we love those who hurt us, love those who irritate us, love those who drive us insane. Going on, 1 John chapter 2, verses 9-11, through 11, John continues to write, and he gets a little bit more clear here. He says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. John is very clear here that those who hate their brothers and sisters are still in darkness. Those who live in the light love their brothers and sisters. So, it's real easy here. He says, hate equals darkness, and love equals light. Now, you know your question, you're questioning now, what does it mean to hate, right? I don't hate anybody, right? In fact, I was having a conversation with uh, my, one of my kids this morning, or this week, as we're walking to the bus stop, and they said, well, what are, we, what are you preaching on this Sunday? And I talked about how we're, if we're living in the light, we're not hating our brothers or we're sisters. And one of my children says, well, I, I, I certainly do not hate my brother. I just strongly dislike my brother. <laughs> right? And isn't that what we all go to? Isn't that what we all say? I, I don't hate anybody. I don't hate them. I just strongly dislike them. I just strongly dislike what they stand for. But what does it mean to hate my brother? What is John getting at here? I know I quickly defend myself, say I don't hate anybody. But if you actually look at what it means to hate, you just look at the English term in Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it means to extremely dislike someone. Ouch. It means to intense hostility or an aversion that using, usually deriving from fear, anger, or self-injury. In the Greek... What does is, what is the Greek say in the original language here? It means usually implying the act of ill will in words and conduct or a persecuting spirit. Ill will in words and conduct towards somebody. Do you have any ill will towards somebody? It stands in complete opposite of agape love. Agape love 
that which is unconditional love. Hate is the complete opposite of this love. So the question is, we often ask, well, I don't hate anybody, so I'm not guilty of this, right? I'm not, I'm not guilty of hating my brother because I don't, I don't really hate somebody. If you just want to ignore it at that level and say, you know what, I don't hate them. I just dislike them. Well, we've already seen that that act, hate means actually to extremely dislike someone. But if you're still at a place of denial, I ask the question, aren't we asking the wrong question? The question should be, do I actually love my brother? Am I showing love to them? Not, well, I'm not hating them, but am I loving them? Am I loving them in unconditional in my words, in my thoughts, in my actions towards them? No matter how they respond or treat me, am I loving them? You see, we cannot walk in the light and hate or strongly dislike our brothers or sisters. It's a lie. And you're actually walking in darkness, John says. Hate equals darkness. Love equals light. Now, I just want to try to illustrate this a little bit for you. But to, to walk in the light or to walk in the darkness, it's, it's pretty... Uh, it's pretty ridiculous to think about, but um, we can often say, well, I'm not walking in darkness, I'm walking in the light, right? So um, let's just say, I know I have a friend here, several of you actually, who uh, heat their house with wood, right? You heat your house with wood, uh, Jason, you heat your house with wood, don't you, right? So what if I, what if I came over to you uh, this week, I know that you need wood, wood is a very precious commodity to you, so you need, you need wood, and I say, hey, Jason, I found some trees. Uh, let's go cut them up. I'm going to help, help you cut them up. So I come over with my chainsaw. And uh, as I grab my chainsaw, I, uh, I put this blindfold on. All right? All right, Jason, I'm ready. I'm ready to help you out, okay? And you'll be like, Andrew, what are you doing? Oh, oh no, I, de- I need this blindfold on me to keep the sawdust from going in my eyes, okay? I, I can do this. Just, just point me to the log. And I can saw this tree up right here. Okay, I can do it. Here, just hold the tree right there, and I'll saw it for you, okay? You'd be like, what are you doing? You're ridiculous. Get the blindfold off. You're in the dark. You're stumbling around. You're going to cut my arm off, right? It's ridiculous. Why would I wear a blindfold to go and saw up some firewood for my friends? It's completely dangerous. It's, It's crazy, and yet... That's what Paul, or I'm sorry, John is saying when we are hating or disliking our brothers and sisters. We're walking around, stumbling around in darkness, and yet we don't think it's crazy. We think we're fine. We think God and I, we're great. We're great. I can do this. I can chop this log up, whatever it takes, not realizing that we are blinded in the darkness, stumbling around. So many of us can quickly deceive ourselves, believe the lie that we are in the light, but yet our relationships are a mess. You know, I've had people who come to me for counseling with their marriage, and they say, you know what, God and I, we are, we are great. I have never been closer to God in my life, but yet they're sitting there in complete hate towards their spouse. 
and come to find out they just want their spouse to be, their spouse to be fixed because they're not the problem, it's their spouse, and them and God are great. Little do they see that they are stumbling around in the darkness realizing that their relationship with their spouse is evident of their relationship with their father. They're walking around in darkness thinking they're all good with the father, and yet their relationship is of the darkness. You know, I've had people come to me and say, you know, you know, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have married this person, and I found a new person that God wants me to marry. I know that person. I was young. I was dumb. I shouldn't have married them, but this new person... I truly believe that God has given them for me. He's prepared them for me. And I have a new spouse, a new love of my life. God wants me to do this. Is that God's will? No. That person is walking around in the darkness and they don't even see it. In fact, they may may even go to church. They may even read their Bible. And yet they're stumbling around with a blindfold about ready to cut off their limb with a chainsaw. May we be people who don't stumble in the darkness because we see a person as an obstacle or an interruption in our life. May we be people that see people as God sees them, as gifts, as blessings, as children of God made in the image of Him. God, help me. So what do we do with these difficult people in our lives? What do we do with these difficult people in our lives that we don't hate, we just dislike? What do we do with that then? Because God says we can't have this in our life and be walking in the light. Well, let me give you another idea. Maybe let's think about it um, differently. Let's think about our enemies or those very difficult people in our lives as people who are saint makers. Saint makers, people actually that God has placed in our life to make us more like his son Jesus, who went to the cross and said, not my will, but your will be done, Father. Maybe these difficult people, these people in our lives, are actually by the means by which God uses to deeply and powerfully transform us. Maybe these people are what God has brought into us, into our lives, to change us. To bring us to a place on our knees where we have to cry out, God, help me. I need you. See, in this sense, enemies are not interruptions or obstacles, but they're gifts in disguise from God. Jesus repeatedly taught that loving God and loving others are inseparable. And John is reiterating this to us. You cannot walk in the light and hate your brother. It's impossible. And why did Jesus teach this? Why did he teach this new command? Because he knew how easy it is for human beings to compartmentalize our thoughts and our beliefs from our actions. That we could pray and even practice our spiritual disciplines, going to church, reading our Bibles, and still fail to love the people with whom we live with. 
Jesus understood this about our souls. He understood that we so quickly compartmentalize ourselves, we so quickly rationalize things in our lives. And he says, no, this is the standard. This is the way in which my followers live. So question for us today, who in your life today might be a saint maker? Who in your life is a difficult person that drives you nuts, that you can't stand, that hurts you? And in what ways may God be using this person to transform you today? Let's flip it around. Let's flip it around from another perspective on loving the difficult people in our lives. Let's take a more uncomfortable approach, an introspective approach. Let's look into loving difficult people or enemies and how that might be. I came across this author, and uh, I'd like to share with you what she wrote about loving enemies and the practice of looking at it from the other side. Margaret Gunther wrote in a a book called At Home in the World, A Rule of Life for the Rest of Us. She she wrote this. She says, Jesus' stand of forgiveness is radical. It's breathtaking and it's seemingly impossible. And I'm not sure I'm up for the challenge, but at least I can try. But in the meantime, it's a good idea to think about enemies from time to time. Who might see me as an enemy? Here's a question. Who might see me as an enemy? And to this question, I usually answer, who, me? Who could possibly see me, a hardworking and generally well-meaning person, as their enemy? This can be a painful exercise in self-examination to reflect on who we might have hurt who we might have diminished or dismissed or intentionally or carelessly, and then to ponder, what am I going to do about it? And who are my enemies? And what can I learn from them? Justly or unjustly, those who we harm can teach us a great deal about ourselves. Am I being condescending when I think that I'm actually being gracious to them? Am I speaking harshly and hurtfully when I think I'm actually just being helpfully direct? Am I being cold-hearted when I ignore the need of a brother or sister? Or am I being arrogant when I assume that my way is the best and only way? If we pay attention and are willing to look at ourselves honestly, our enemies can teach us a lot. And the question is, of course, do we really want to learn that much about ourselves? Do we really want to ask those questions and actually think about, am I an enemy to someone else? Have I been doing things to others to cause hurts or pain or anguish? Well, the answer is both yes and no. Yes, I do, but only to a certain extent, right? So my question for us again this morning is, who is someone that you suspect you may have hurt, diminished, or dismissed intentionally or carelessly in your life? 
And what may God's invitation be to you right now when you consider the question, what am I going to do about that? See, it's easy to identify how people who have hurt us and treated us poorly, but to learn from those who we think we are their enemy, this is much harder and it takes the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for them. Pray for them because it requires a miracle in order to do such. It takes a miraculous power that only comes from God to do such a work that John is calling us to. We cannot live in light and hate our brothers or sisters. We must walk in the light and obey his commands. So what is, should it be our response? What should be our response if we find ourselves in a place where we are disliking someone extremely? Or even willing to admit, I hate them. Well, we see earlier on, Pastor Dave talked about it. Confess it. Acknowledge it. Agree with God for what it is. Yes, God. I hate this person, and it's wrong, and it's sin. It's an act of humility to acknowledge our sins and our shortcomings before him. And this is what's so amazing about Jesus, is that there is grace and there is forgiveness. You see, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And the act that Jesus instituted in the upper room that night was an act that Jesus was saying, we need to wash our feet daily. We need to confess this daily and not let it sit there and fester and get dirty. Jesus is saying, look, I, I recognize this. This is a daily thing that we need to come before the Lord. Come before me. Acknowledge this in humility. And the beautiful thing is, is that Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, and what God did on that cross as well as, as pouring out his wrath on him, that he offers us complete forgiveness and purification through faith, by this grace. It's astounding. It really is astounding. So closing here, John, wrapping up here, John, in verses 12 through 14, he says, this is why I'm writing this to you. This is why I'm, I'm writing these difficult conversations to you. He says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. You see, this is what is exciting, that John brings them back to the gospel. He reminds them that your sins have been forgiven. An account to his name, Jesus. So 
you've been found guilty of hating your brother and sister. There's good news. Confess it, agree with God because you have been forgiven on the count of Jesus. You see, it all comes back to Jesus again. And Jesus is, and John is writing to the people and, and acknowledging that there's a spiritual journey. There's spiritual children, there's spiritual young adults, and there's spiritual adults and parents. And he's saying, you've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. Remember this. Don't forget this. And he says, and because you've been forgiven, you know the Father from the beginning. You know the Father. You are one of His. There is no shame or condemnation because you are a child of God. Live in this true identity. Live in the light. And he says, you also have overcome because the Word of God lives in you. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to the Word of of God. We must be in the Word of God. We must read the Word of God. We must live out the Word of God. The Word of God is what helps us to overcome the evil one. And John concludes with this. And this gospel message is also what led me here and my family 12 years ago. It's this gospel message of grace that it's not just for getting me saved, but this gospel message which is for all of life that gives me hope and power to live today. This gospel message, this message of grace is what caused my, at the time, 12 years ago, six and a half kids or six and a half family units, I should say. We had one in the hopper, one in the oven, um, Josiah at that time but it's what has called us here to Penn Valley Church some 12 years ago because of this message of grace. This message of grace and the opportunity to multiply that message through church planting. And being here this past 12 years, I can say that God has changed my life through the message of grace. This message of grace, the gospel that points us to Jesus is life transformation, transforming. And it's what's leading me on. It's what's made me come to a place of I must go and follow Jesus for what the new assignment is that he has for me. My prayer is that we would continue to walk in the lights, that we would walk in the love, and that we would be known for our love for one another. May God help us. May God work in us. May God transform us, Penn Valley Church. May he guide us to live out this command that Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Father, we come before you humbly today. Some of us with heavy hearts being convicted of the hate, that we don't want to admit that's hate. It's just strongly disliking. 
these people in our lives. Lord, I pray if anyone here today has been convicted of this, that they would take time right now to confess it to you. That they would confess their sins and that they would come to you before you and say, what do you want me to believe? What do you want me to do because of that belief? Lord, I pray that your grace and mercy would be upon us. That we would see the difficult people in our lives, the people that make it hard to live, Lord, as saint makers. As gifts from you in disguise to show us and point us our need for you, Jesus. That we can't live this radical love, this command that you've given to us out of our own strength or power. It's death. Death to ourself and saying yes to you, Holy Spirit. Live to form us, to make us like you. Lord, we ask all this in your name, I pray. Amen.